Cryptocurrently, we talk about a crypto-based decentralized prediction market that lets you bet on the outcome of the coronavirus. We also hear about an app that takes crypto payments through Zoom calls. We talk a lot about Ethereum with Vitalik calling for trustless bridges between chains, how Ethereum's dealing with some of its scalability issues, the recent DeFi hacks, and a big increase in smart contract adoption. We talk bad news for U.S. banks and the petrodollar, and we talk about the encryption battle in the U.S. We hear about some new crypto ATMs, and we hear some big news from Bittrex and CoinMarketCap when it comes to crypto adoption. We also talk about Microsoft's really creepy crypto patent, and we get a wild BTC price prediction from Ross Ulbrich. You are now orbiting... The dark side of the hollow moon. Copy. This show is proudly sponsored by Salamantech's point of sale devices and software. Tired of all the headaches dealing with cryptocurrency? You don't know what a private key is? You don't want to deal with exchanges? Well, if you're a business and you just want to run your business without thinking about cryptocurrency headaches, look no further than Salamantex. We provide point-of-sale software that allows you to get paid in fiat currency, that's euros, allowing your customers to pay in cryptocurrency, that's BTC, ETH, and a host of others. Dark Side of the Hollow Moon proudly uses the audio services of Eye of the Sound. Beyond the amazing sound production, they've really been a sounding board, pun intended for our show, giving us great customer support and constructive criticism and feedback. So if you want a little bit more personalized attention you're not going to get from a bigger provider, check out iTheSound.com. Welcome to the April 2020 episode of Crypto Currently. I'm Blockade here with Josh. Josh, how are you today? Doing all right. I'm actually quite weary and tired having two kids now it's very hard to look after them uh by yourself at home the wife's struggling the struggle is real so the whole but my struggle is nothing in comparison to what's going on around the world the markets have crashed the cryptocurrency pandemic is continuing and uh business is grinding to a halt in many places i mean it's kind of crazy i didn't expect this we would kind of taking this lightly earlier on a couple of months ago but now it's really tough i mean it seems to just be going on and on and on yeah i'm struggling too i can't even go to the gym i've just been doing my beast mode workouts in my living room but you know i'm still doing okay (laughs) yeah so i've been seeing some of those quite funny to be honest entertaining and and while i've been sheltering in place i've been growing a mustache i know this is a podcast so people can't really see it but josh can you describe what you're looking at right now is it a pretty sick stash for for fear of um i don't know that sounds a bit weird so <laughs> i don't want to compliment you too much but yeah it looks cool it's fine it's very trendy well done yeah i do what i can do <laughs> all right let's let's go from our struggles to some global struggles let's talk about uh the coronavirus thing of course it's topical everyone's talking about it and um there's actually a new prediction market for um the coronavirus uh, it's a decentralized prediction market. It's crypto-based. 
And what I thought was really interesting is that um, compared to traditional polling where no money is involved, the people make predictions without doing much research since there's nothing to lose. So when you think of this Corona information market, it could be viewed as the equivalent of a consensus of news and scientific research on the coronavirus. And it could actually be useful because people are betting on the outcome. So it's a way to possibly make money and get better information out there, which I thought was pretty interesting. It definitely is interesting. I mean, when there's money on the line, there's a there's a famous phrase that's used in UK sports betting marketing, and it and that is it matters more when there's money on it, and that's definitely true. Um, like if you watch a football match, soccer as Americans call it, but um, and there's a even if you like the team, but you're not really vested into the game. You don't have until you've got money on the line. So if you're in the UK, I'm sure that you've placed a bet on some sports at some point because that is type of uh, that's part of the culture in the uk really it's like a nori bang in south korea so on every corner there's a nori bang well in in the uk in every corner there is a betting shop so yeah and and i used to work in a betting shop when i was at uni actually that was pretty interesting times i've got some funny stories from from some of those characters in there nice well we've covered this before on on earlier episodes like the there is one where you could buy like Trump futures and Bernie futures betting on the election. And this is another another one I think is pretty interesting. Um, Josh, you know what I'm going to place a big bet on? Bitcoin. Crypto and Bitcoin, baby. Yeah, I mean, but I think, um, honestly, cryptocurrency is going to get stronger and stronger. We've talked about this recently. We'll talk about it going forward. The money printer went burr last week. Well, the last few weeks, in fact, a lot of printing and some of that money has to come into uh, sound money, including Bitcoin. So let's see what happens. I mean, Bitcoin price is up quite a little bit, um, despite the recent crash it had. I mean, it crashed down to 3,800 at one point. That was the lowest trade. Now it's back up to 7,500. So looking healthy back to where it was about six weeks ago. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's move on to the uh, there's some big protests in France and these have kind of really fallen under the radar. But um, three months has now turned into a year while France burns. This is from trust nodes. And basically, they're, they've been protesting there the whole time. And this coronavirus epidemic has really only made it worse. And another thing that's making it worse is they said, oh, it's only going to be three weeks. It's only going to be a month. It's only going to be two months. And now they're changing the timeline. And things are really getting crazy in France right now. And it's not totally crypto related, but in some ways it is. And I think it's pretty wild what's happening in Europe. We always think that, you know, Europe's so stable, the EU's so great, or that's the normie opinion of it. But things aren't so, aren't so hot in France right now. Yeah, I mean, the French are famous for protesting uh, almost anything. But now they've got something legit to protest about. I mean... The British almost think it's comical the amount of things that the French um, protest about. But these days, I think we can all agree that it's getting tough in continental Europe and they're not really planning to lift these lockdown measures. It seems like a bit of a move to impose more control, which is what you'd expect from a centralized bureaucracy um, in the European Union and some of these 
other countries. They want to type, uh, well, especially Germany, they love to maintain order. They love a bit of order in Germany. So, <clears throat> yeah, Josh, did you know that I lived in France for a year? Did I tell you that? Where did you live? Which city? Uh, I lived in a tiny village in the middle of nowhere. It was called Saint-Crepin-de-Richemont. It was two hours east of Bordeaux. I was in the middle of nowhere, but it was very interesting. How old were you? Were you like in your early... Twenties or what? Yeah, yeah. I was in my twenties. I was just, I was just exploring the world. You know, you know, distributing my time from Europe to the U.S. and to Asia and back. But uh, yeah, it was did interesting. You like, but did you like France? What was it like? I've been to France a couple of times, but you know, only for vacation, holidays, uh, as you say in England. Went on I, holiday. It was, <laughs> it was interesting. In some ways, I learned, I learned some French. You know, it's kind of escaped me you know these last few years but i definitely liked living in korea a lot more the french have a reputation for not being super friendly and i found that to be the case especially because i was living in the middle of nowhere and they don't they didn't seem to really like anyone that wasn't french and it's just uh, just kind of a in some ways kind of a stuck up attitude i have french friends and there are some french people i liked but in general it wasn't the most welcoming community or or people that i've found when i've been all over the world i guess yeah, I guess they want you to speak French, um, most of the people in in France. That's what I experienced in Marseille, too. And I went to the south of France. Um, even in McDonald's, you'd expect in an international chain that they would be able to understand, I'd like a Big Mac, please, in English. Uh, but it seemed that the staff were not best pleased with that. So, yeah, just learn yeah. French when you go to France. Yeah, yeah <laughs> well... Uh... I mean, I, I took a little French before I went there. And after a few months, my French was okay. But like, after you said two words, even if they heard the accent, that was already a problem. You know, it's like, you're not French. You're speaking French, but you're not French kind of thing. But anyways, enough about that. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's talk about something else. Uh, well, the French are pretty funky, though. I've got to admit, they elected a mad lad, Macron, who's got like, he's the toy boy for some some woman who's 20 years older than him or something like that so the french are, did, are pretty interesting people I'll put did, it like you, that. did you know that she used to be his teacher <laughs> well that even adds more that's spice true, to the story, that's, true. that's 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 uh that, she used to be his teacher that's that's no joke oh <laughs> uh, well well i think in france i think it's one of the few places where like crimes of passion are kind of more leniently excused like um, than in other countries, like if you murdered someone in many countries because they were, I don't know, having an, an affair with someone else or something like that, the law doesn't really seem to say, oh, yeah, fair enough. But apparently in France, they're a bit more lenient. They're like, yeah, I understand. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. That might, be, that might be fake news as well. If you're a French listener and you know the truth, you can write into us and correct yeah, us. Yeah, right. send, your, send your hate mail to Josh. All right. <laughs> All right. Next, <laughs> next one is uh, there's a new app that lets uh, coronavirus hit businesses take crypto payments for Zoom calls. So this is uh, pretty cool. And it's basically a plug in through an Ethereum based crypto paywall. And basically, you could always take crypto payments through Zoom or Skype, but you'd have to like do it manually. But this kind of just simplifies it a little bit. And you can swap between ETH and probably TrueUSD, Tether, DAI. And 
it's pretty cool. Um, and I think it's just kind of another interesting thing. It kind of simplifies it. And when you build that structure, people are more likely to use it. So we'll, we'll see if, uh, this, uh, this gets a lot of adoption or not. Right, it looks pretty interesting. I've seen some of these similar services. There was, um, a coin tipping service on Twitter and Slack as well, which is pretty cool. I heard about a couple of weeks ago, um, I think that this stuff is going to get more and more popular. I think that Zoom is is going through a, f- a few of its own problems, but um, it's pretty cool. It's definitely become far uh, more reaching in terms of its awareness because even like my parents use Zoom to talk to their friends now in in England because of the lockdown that the UK is in right now. So everyone's going on Zoom sessions right now. I think it's the trendy thing to do. So this is cashing in on a trend which is always good um but i don't see many people actually using it honestly right now because like we've talked about before my opinion is that cryptocurrency in the developed economies and especially places that need to switch their workers from the office setting to the zoom setting these are not the economies that really need cryptocurrency payments frankly they've already got visa and mastercard working fine so I think it's more of a um, it's more of an advertisement for your technical expertise to show that you can build something like this rather than something that's really going to take off. I believe so. Well, good luck to them. Let's move on to the next story. Yeah, let's let's talk about Ethereum. What do you want to talk about with Ethereum today, Josh? <laughs> well, the golden pocket could wipe out Ethereum's momentum. All right. So, what exactly is the golden pocket? Is that essentially saying that there's um, some resistance at, at around $220 and that they don't expect that the price can really push beyond that. Yeah. They're, they're basically saying that um, it's kind of reaching the local highs that where Ethereum hasn't been in quite a while. And um, well, it's only time is going to tell if this is going to turn into more of a bull run or if it's going to maybe get more bearish but it's kind of in that middle ground we really don't know which way the action is going to go but we don't really talk a lot about price action on the show but I thought it was the reason i don't is because price action i don't believe many of the predictions that are given off charts because you can basically manipulate the data in many different ways you can change the time um you can put can put the one minute candles on you can put the four minute candles on you can put the one four hour candles on sorry you could put the one day candles on you can put the one week the one month any time scenario that you want and that changes the shape of the graph and then you can make arguments that fit different patterns of trading movements and say oh we're due for this because of the way that you've manipulated the architecture of the graph um it's i mean and if it was as simple as this i mean there'd be a lot more wealthy people in the world if you could make a few predictions i'm sure that there is some general truths to it like maybe 50 percent of the time it works 100 percent of the time like uh what's it called sex panther or something like that in anchorman but um yeah so let's ca- start calling like this type of analysis sex panther because that's essentially what it is 100 percent of the time it works 50 percent of the time so. <laughs> yeah all right well, well we're gonna we're gonna stick with ethereum we've got some other ethereum stories today and um one is uh vitalik on twitter said 
He's calling for more trustless bridges between Ethereum and, and other blockchains. And there are some other there are interesting solutions for this. Um, and one response to that tweet was by Hybrix. And they've got multi-ledger tokens as a second layer protocol. So basically what multi-ledger tokens are, they are tokens that exist on multiple chains at the same time. And they might be an important innovation for the core functionality of a blockchain and distributed ledger protocols. And they have one big advantage over atomic swaps. And that is that the compatibility does not have to be built in because it works on all compatible ledgers. Um, so its origins can be traced actually back all the way to the color coins. And um, these new multi-ledger tokens are somewhat similar but they record the transactions in their own currency. The consensus mechanism of the hijacked blockchains validate this transaction of the multi-ledger token, which eliminates the need for a new chain. So I think it's another interesting thing, and it's a different from atomic swap. So I think uh, we're going to see more cross-chain um, interoperability and more ability for blockchains to talk to each other. And I think this, this was, that was a pretty interesting idea. It's pretty cool. So what what's the next step then to get this um, out there? It just seems like there are some development docs available, but it doesn't seem that there's a live trading platform there that actually facilitates this decentralized change between Ethereum and BTC. Like, do you have to download the software, run a node yourself? How exactly does it work? Do you know how that works? Or not quite yet? Sure. I haven't, I haven't dived that deep into it yet, but it might not be like completely live yet. It seems like maybe this, there's something they're working on and basically maybe it's in beta, but uh, I think that's something we're going to have to follow up on on, the next, on another episode. And also the way that this article reads to me, this might be like native advertising, um, which is basically um, like Vitalik made a tweet. They replied to his tweet, screenshotted that, said that they're having a conversation with Vitalik, position themselves well. And then the rest of it reads like an advertisement for Hybrix. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is native advertising. And plus at the bottom, there's a press contact email, press at hybrix.io. But Hybrix, this is not slagging you off. This is me saying, uh, nice job on your advertising team. So congratulate your marketing manager. And also, um, if this does start to work, I can see it being very valuable too. I mean, Vitalik's point is basically right. It is embarrassing that you can't, like, in a decentralized fashion, exchange between Ethereum and BTC. And once that happens, then it would be much better for you to be able to um, trade independently of a third party. And also, hopefully, more coins will become interoperable. So this hybrid solution is pretty interesting. I just think it might not be quite there yet. It it reads to me like uh, an advertorial. Yeah, well, 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 I also think I don't think they're the only company that's doing something similar to that. Like 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 the article said, they had the origins in the color coins. But yeah, I think having different options for different blockchains to talk to each other can only be a good thing for the space. And whether this one works out or not, only time will tell. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing on the Ethereum. Uh, development kind of list is the hunt for scalability. So, well, I believe there is a solution, and we we did talk to uh, Alex Glukowski, uh, Glukowski, sorry, um, recently, and he is 
like on the cutting edge of this stuff with his ZK uh, kind of sync. ZK sync is that ZK sync is how they've uh, branded it. Visa level transactions per second. So I think there are solutions out there, um, but again, it's about getting the the awareness. But this is, seems like a pretty good um, article. I mean, yeah, yeah, so, it's so pretty new. But uh, this is stuff I've been researching. This article is new, but the content is stuff I've been researching over the past, well, since basically November last year. So yeah, we've yeah. been looking for scalability, and I think there is one on a decentral in in a decentralized way, zk sync, but doesn't mention that here. So Julia, yeah. Julia Magus, make America great again. Um, she needs, we'll just tweet at her. We'll say, Hey, look at ZK sync. And she might be like, we found a solution, but anyway, go yeah. ahead. Gabe. No, no, I don't know. She might mention that at the end of the article, but basically it's talking about Ethereum scaling. And this has been in the works for a long time and they've hit a lot of dead ends and they've, tried a lot of different things you know there's been the instable hard fork it's faster but it's still not fast enough there was the sharding there was raiden there was plasma which was basically abandoned and then there's zero knowledge technology zero proofs of technology success zk snarks and um it's already this has already been implemented in zcash so but there might be some bugs but this is actually part of the theoretical research. It does mention is that something with zero knowledge snarks or something in the zero knowledge space might be the solution. And actually, there's some other ideas. And I remember he said that before that they could also um, use other networks. So they mentioned using the BCH network, for instance, to become a potential partner of the ETH blockchain. That was suggested by buterin and it's well suited for its low transaction fees and high throughput and also they mentioned using ethereum using ethereum classic pointing to its great potential and interoperability so that, those are some other interesting ideas is using different blockchains um to do kind of a synergy between what ethereum strong points are and what other blockchain strong points are so i thought that was interesting the uh the bitcoin cash one is uh, old news i heard about that a while ago but him talking about using ethereum classic with ethereum was a little interesting and kind of out of left field but you know that's kind of a thinker like vitalik is going to come up with those ideas every now and then so i thought that was pretty interesting hey that's an idea for a guest why don't we get vitalik on he's not really a big fan of doing interviews though i don't think he would get your friendly banter either i don't think he's the type of guy who gets jokes uh, yeah you know but yeah. I'd love it if we could get him on. That would be cool. But um, I'm not holding my breath on that one. I don't think he yeah. would appreciate our vibe, our bands. So yeah. Well, I mean, as the but dark if, you, side if of you're the... listening, come on, Vitalik. I mean, hey, as the dark side of the Hodlmoon ecosystem immutably gets larger, I think that, that gravity is only going to bring in more bigger and larger and more well-renowned and smarter guests. It's only a matter of time. Well, I I honestly don't think we're going to get smarter guests because we've had some super smart guests. In yeah, the not to not not to slag off any of our old uh, any of our old uh, guests. I've just had a few too many beers tonight, so I'm kind of talking <laughs> off the blockchain right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean the 
Well, I guess IQ-wise, Vitalik might be off the charts. Who knows? I think his IQ might be close to 180 or something like that. All right, let's go to the next story. Um, yeah. Which? What's the next story? The China one? China court says yeah, that Ethereum yeah. is property and has economic value. So, all right, so the author <laughs> Min Kim has written this little write-up. And um, what exactly is this story about, Cade? Some, some, like $600 worth of Chinese uh, yuan was, was uh, stolen in coins, equivalent to a couple yeah, well, of Ethereum, I mean, free think- Ethereum. The amount really isn't the the crux of the story. It's the mm. uh, it's the it's the court ruling, I guess, the legal precedent. Because you know, in China, um, the the government's really vacillated a lot when it comes to banning crypto. Okay, now it's legal. Now it's not legal. Now it's property. Now it's not property. And this basically says, yes, ETH is property and it has value. And um, China has a long history of regulating crypto, but I think this is just good for the Chinese crypto space and good for Ethereum as well. So I thought it was interesting. You know, other than that, there's nothing really special about it, except that, you know, just another disgruntled employee after they left, they uh, they kind of went crazy on the uh, company wallets and drained them of a lot of funds. Okay, so, well, that happens, unfortunately, in projects. Well, sometimes projects are badly managed and sometimes employees are kind of... Uh feel disgruntled and but i would never recommend doing anything like that um i would just say just take the loss and move on look for the best opportunity but this is good in terms of the chinese court basically saying that this is um real property because it could be publicly traded and it has market value so for that reason it seems in line with the recent shift towards um being positive towards blockchain technology in general in China. This is not to say that China's a big fan of ICOs. I don't think that they're in the business of having decentralized um, groups of people being able to make their own financial um, systems, but they definitely like the idea of having a, a financial system that they can control, that's for sure. So I think that's in line with uh, general thoughts that blockchain's good as long as it's our blockchain. Um, Let's see what happens in China in the coming years. I mean, they're talking about their own digital currency that's coming soon. So I think this is just in line with them getting ready and getting the public psychology prepared for having digital currencies being accepted. And China's pretty much there already with WeChat. WeChat Pay and Alipay, so it's just a matter yeah. of time. All right, next story. What's yeah. the next one? Go ahead, Kate. Yeah. So it's not all uh, hot news in the Ethereum space. So another DeFi platform suffered a 51% attack from its top miners, and there's some confusion there. Some people are saying it was a penetration test, but other people think it was an attack, but they didn't successfully... Uh, they weren't able to successfully liquidate what they, what they took, and they were unable to sell the funds. But this is also follows up on the uh, LendF.me platform being drained just in the same week, and where they stole $25 million in funds. But apparently those later were returned by the hacker after he uh, kind of outed himself. But, you know, there's still issues in the DeFi space when it comes to hacking and people trying to take these things over so you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket but 
it's uh you know with every hack you know the technology is going to get stronger and better but you definitely don't want to put all of your stuff in these uh DeFi networks right now at least that's i wouldn't recommend it at least yeah i mean pegnet that rings a bell um i was actually speaking to them last week so i didn't know that they were going through some type of turmoil but perhaps it was before this happened um very interesting news pretty clear though that if you've only got a small network like a small number of people involved in the network then it doesn't take uh, too many bad actors to basically take over the network they said it was four miners basically could take control of 70 percent of the network suddenly and that is the danger of having and this is true of any blockchain if you've got too much centralization in terms of the consensus so in proof of work the consensus is done through mining and if if all of the hash power, the mining power is centralized, even if it's a, a pool, but it's a centralized pool, um, then that can be dangerous. So you've always got to keep your eye on that. It's not necessarily, um, I know a lot of people don't understand cryptocurrency still and they're first hearing about it. So kind of going back to basics there, if you uh, are mining cryptocurrency, then it's very difficult to actually get any block rewards unless you've got a lot of hash power. And to get a lot of hash power, some people form mining pools so they can pull together their hash power to be more likely so that they can basically win the block reward um, by solving the you know the computational problem in the hash functions. And you get the block rewards, and then that, that reward is distributed to everybody in the pool um, proportionally and then the pool takes a small fee. But if these pools, a lot of them are based in China, so people are concerned about that on the BTC network. I mean, a lot of these pools are really in, in China. Um, so is, is BTC a Chinese coin now? I don't know. Let's Anyway, I love going on my random rambles. Um, okay, next yeah. one. Next yeah, one. I know, okay. I, I know you. I know you do. <laughs> um, yeah, let's end with some uh, good news. So, despite these hacks and these other issues with DeFi, the Ethereum smart contracts are actually up seventy-five percent in just one month, and they're they've gone up to almost two million, which is a big jump. And um, it's basically, it looks like it's at an all-time high. So. Um, Nice. We, we, Two million kind contracts of and then a very low amount of USD uh, cost of deployment. So for 2 million contracts, the cost was approximately like uh, 12,000 USD to, to execute 2 million smart contracts. That's pretty cheap, you know, $12,000, 2 million. It's, probably, it's pennies per contract is super low. So that's good. It's showing that Ethereum is getting more efficient. And it's always positive to hear yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No. Well, I think that I think that's the average, like per contract. I think, or or per per protocol or something like that. I don't know if that's per for all of them altogether. I'm not really sure if that's the case. But well, uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe we need some clarification on that. Uh, if anyone's listening, and if I misunderstood that graph, I think I'm looking at the graph. Uh, it might be per contract instead of. Two million contracts for a total of 
Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Yeah, that, that, that seems a little cheap. But uh, yeah, basically, it's been ebbing and flowing. At one point, it was up to 1.5. But yeah, like we've talked about before, and with a lot of our guests were in the DeFi space, it seems like this year is the year that DeFi is really going to pop off. And it looks like it's still going to be on, on Ethereum unless uh, Cardano or, or some other of these uh, uh, strong competitors knock them off. But, you know, they've got the early mover advantage and they've got a lot they've of people building on effects. them. Yeah. And they've got people trying to solve the scaling issue. If they solve the scaling issue, I think they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've got the network effects already. So they've got so many people using it or are aware of it. Um, I mean, if you ask people Bitcoin and you say, what's the next, what's another coin? So the average person in the street, they might not know. But if they do know, they'll probably say Ethereum. So uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum are the top two by far in terms of mind share for for the public. And then when it comes to development, Ethereum is leading by quite a long way in terms of uh, development in an open sourced fashion. So it's got the advantage there too. I mean, going back to Alex and talking about ZK Sync, ZK Sync is something that can be deployed on any blockchain that he's just building it on top of Ethereum because it's got the most uh, adoption right now in terms of like being able to do uh, the things he wants it to do so it's because i listened back to our old show actually yesterday i was i was uh, talking um sorry i was listening to some of our back catalog and that interview was a pretty good one so if you haven't heard some of our last um few episodes go back and listen through guys there's some really good content in there definitely definitely maybe maybe josh you can make a DeFi playlist and put it out on twitter for our fans that would be good, actually. Yeah, we've got we've got a couple of guests that are really experts in uh, DeFi space. So if we did like a DeFi pack and we just put together the DeFi shows, that would be pretty good, and we could share them. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's let's talk about. We can't talk about crypto and the current events without talking about banks. And basically, the U.S. is suing most of the big banks over Trump's Paycheck Protection Program. So they're suing J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo. And basically, you know, you, whatever you think of the stimulus, the stimulus was supposed to help small businesses cope, and the banks weren't actually executing it the way it was designed to because. They were trying to maximize profits and they weren't giving the loans to the smaller businesses. So the fees are 5% for loans up to 350,000, 3% for loans between 350,000 and 2 million, 1% for loans between 2 and 10 million. So banks could earn um, fees of 100,000 to 2 million and 10 million compared to only a maximum of 17,500 for loans up to $350,000. So basically the banks were prioritizing large loans to maximize profits, but that's not what the stimulus was designed for. So, you know, I have mixed feelings about the stimulus cuz obviously the money printer's going burr and our our debt is really going off the rails, but if you are going to give it to small businesses, the bank should actually follow through with what it was designed to do and not just try and uh, screw over the little guy. So another reason is to buy Bitcoins and say goodbye to the banks, in my opinion. Yeah, buy Bitcoin and say bye-bye to the banks. A lot of people, uh, that's going around on Twitter the last few months. I don't think it's going to happen in the United States. The banks are too important. The financial industry is too important. But it would be good if the banks... Uh, basically realized the PR disaster that they've had over the past uh, 
well, since 2008 onwards, hasn't really been alleviated by some of their behavior. So I think it's pretty important that they um, fix this type of problem and they get on with it, essentially. Um, do do business properly. If you're a small business owner and you need to bail out um, just as much, if not more, than some of these big businesses. I mean, some of the big businesses don't need a bailout. They've got They've got money already. Some of these large universities have got endowments of like 40, uh, yeah. 40 billion dollars and they Har- harvard got stimulus money and yeah they've got yeah, a I giant mean, endowment it was it's unbelievable uh, that they asked for money i mean it to be honest that is criminal it makes me think that harvard it well it's a business let's be honest but and they've got smart people in there but they're not really looking out for the community but one could argue in we've been talking about education on past shows too with many of our guests that the current education system's broken the current banking system's broken. There are too many things that are basically monopolized and um, they're not really working for the average person anymore. There are too many vested interests in education and just like the banking system, too many vested interests there. So Bitcoin is um, showing people the way there's an alternative. And I think the next step is if we could bring those two together, you know, education and cryptocurrency together. I know there's a couple of cryptocurrency education firms like BitDegree. They put a lot of um, courses out there, but it's too much like a Udemy, to be honest. It doesn't feel like it's a, a real blockchain with... It doesn't, doesn't have that feel of, of, of a game changer. But I think that would be great. Banks and education together. Um, it's crypto and education together, and we could replace the old order eventually. Or at least... Give people the option. Give people the choice. I, I don't want to stop people from going to the bank or stop people from getting educated. There's no, no yeah. problem there. But what I mean is there should be an alternative that's affordable and people should be able to choose that, you know. Choice yeah, is better in the market. Yeah, I would love to see a crypto anarcho-capitalistic homeschooling program. That would be great. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, uh, that's another thing. I, I'd love to see that um, too. I think that Due to this coronavirus, that might be one of the positive things that comes out of it is that people start to realize that they can make their own bespoke education and they'll start like hiring expert tutors that there are so many great tutors all around the United States and all across the world for that matter um, that you can hire and you can speak with an expert in a particular field for like $50 an hour. And if you think about the the cost per credit hour at a university, it's like, hundreds if not thousands of dollars per credit hour so the cost benefit analysis there is pretty clear All yeah right. well there's a there's a homeschooling advocate who says like yeah you should give uh, parents a choice either they get a quarter million dollars or they send their kids to public schools because basically that's around the price depending on uh the school in the area but yeah in a lot of places in the u.s it's like $20,000 a year per kid is what the government's spending on public school as it is. Imagine if you gave the parents that they could stay home and, you know, give their kids a bespoke education like you, like you mentioned, but let's, but we could talk about schooling all day. Let's go to the next one. Uh, so the next one is another system that's not working in the petrodollar. So, um, so basically cause the dollars went off the gold standard, you know, a lot of people consider it the dollar being backed, you know, maybe by the military, but or actually by the petrodollar, which is that most countries have to use dollars to buy oil. But what do you do when the oil price is negative forty dollars per barrel? So 
So with the petrodollar system really getting devastated because of this and also because of competition, you know, some countries are trying to work around this, whether it's uh, China or Russia or Venezuela or Iran. And with the petrodollar devastated, the U.S. dollar is more fragile, fragile than ever. And I kind of worry about it. I'm an American. And the funny thing is that the U.S. dollar is fragile in a country where their currency is even worse off. They're trying to escape into the dollar. So if the dollar collapses, you know, there's really going to be issues. You know, I was reading the other day that um, a lot of Argentinians are fleeing into the dollar. Well, the dollar might not be the safe haven asset you think it is, you know, in, in the long term. You know, I mean, who knows? I honestly in I don't know if the dollar is going to survive in 10 years, to be honest with you. That's maybe a crazy prediction. But I just like with the money printer going burr the way it is, I don't know if the whole world is going to keep accepting these dollars the way they have been for so long. Well, I'll be honest. I think they will keep on accepting it because we've got to realize that we're in a we're in a bubble of a bubble of a bubble in or let's say a niche within a niche uh, in terms of our understanding of this. So. The average person on the street, you ask them, what is money? And they still don't actually know what it is, a lot of people. Like, what brings it value? Why is it useful? They actually believe it was kind of, they don't really understand it's a creation uh, by the government and it's useful. It, they don't understand why it, it has value. So going beyond that, I just don't see the average person becoming rebellious enough to basically um, stop trusting it and then that's in the united states alone and then the rest of the world they don't have anywhere close to the the knowledge required to basically understand what you've been talking about at this moment in time i'm not saying it won't happen but for 10 years in 10 years to drastically like have some type of intellectual awakening for for like billions of people around the world I hope it happens in some way. Then we could have more freedom, more peace, more prosperity, more trade in, um, you know, in a voluntary fashion. However, I don't see the dollar going anywhere. So don't worry yeah, too well, much. Kate. Yeah, but honestly, I'm not saying it from uh, people are going to wake up and realize kind of fashion. You know, that could take thousands of years at this rate. But what I'm saying is that if the money printer really goes crazy and this, you know, if the dollar has hyperinflation, what happens then? That's that's the doomsday scenario that I'm forecasting. I'm not saying it's 100 percent, but I think it's I don't think it's one percent. You know what I mean? I think it's like in 10 years, there could be within the decade, there could be something bad happening to the dollar. I'm not saying it's going to be because people in uh, in Africa and Asia and South America wake up and realize how the money system works. I think it's going to be like just the reality of the numbers is going to hit and you can't really do anything with that. It doesn't matter if uh, you know, one percent of the population knows how money works. It's still going to have a bad ending. Yeah, I mean, and this article by Bitcoin dot com goes into detail about like what they're basically suggesting is um, the U.S. military's uh, might gets well. Basically, they start to flex on anyone that starts to suggest that we might not um, we not we might not trade in U.S. dollars for um, when we when we're trading and selling gold uh sorry oil so they call it the the petrodollar because it's petroleum um anchored as the reserve currency for selling um right us dollars is the reserve currency for selling petroleum so, so any country in the past that has kind of 
alluded to uh, any intention that they might stop using U.S. dollars as the kind of the base pair, so to speak, for trading petroleum. Um, they get dealt with. So Saddam Hussein, he's there's one example there. There's Gaddafi because Gaddafi wanted to he wanted to get off the petrodollar system. He was trying to set up gold dinars, which Libya at that time had a lot of gold. So he wanted to use um, gold as a kind of way to trade oil instead. And Libya was a massive producer of oil too. So Libya before Gaddafi, well, before Gaddafi was basically dealt with, um, was the wealthiest country in Africa. Um, yeah, they did have a mad leader, Gaddafi. Some of his... Uh, activities and actions and behaviors are definitely bizarre and crazy um but if you read if you actually do some reading on him like was quite well intentioned in some regard if you look at his the green book that he, he wrote it was about it was a it was almost like a constitution in an islamic republic um and you know people were relatively prosperous as long as you didn't go against Gaddafi. I mean, if you're on Gaddafi's side, and um, then you're, you're pretty fine. I mean, if you're against him, then God help you. But um, yeah, so this, this article is talking about um, Venezuela as well, and it alludes to uh, the Chinese and the Russians and also the North Koreans that have been thinking of ways that they can get off the US dollar so that they can essentially weaken the strength of of America in, in a way, because America's strength is really built on the fact that they can print money and still have the money respected. So maybe that's what you, I think that's where you're alluding to, right? It, the money just, the printer goes into overdrive and people just say, look, we can't, we can't keep on accepting these dollars because they're literally just being printed into oblivion. And we have to yeah. go through hyperinflation at some point. Yeah, you know. Yeah, honestly, honestly, like it's it'd be new in human history because before this, you know, the money was backed by gold or it was backed by something else. So, like, if the dollar hit hyperinflation, we'd kind of enter uncharted territory, really, because there there'd be nothing else to really replace it. You know, that would be big enough to handle the the world's economy. But uh, speaking of reserve, uh, that's a good transition point for the next thing I want to talk about, which is that um, actually Bloomberg, of all um, of all sources, uh, recently put out a report on Bitcoin and it was praising it, which is pretty interesting from coming from like the mainstream press, the normie press, which isn't always hot on cryptocurrency. But basically, I want to quote it there. They said. This year is marking a key test for Bitcoin's transition towards a quasi-currency like gold, and we expect it to pass. And they also said that um, that increasing futures, open interest, declining volatility, and relative outperformance, despite the stock market shakeout, indicate indicate Bitcoin is maturing from a speculative crypto asset towards a digital version of gold. You know, so as you know, like I have mixed feelings about Bitcoin as digital gold or a store of value, but it is good that it's kind of getting the word out there and that even if Bloomberg saying praising Bitcoin, I think you're kind of going to see that trend again where all of a sudden everyone's, yeah, Bitcoin's a scam, you know, first they ignore it, then they call it a scam. Then all of a sudden we're going to see this adoption and it could really go crazy with people really buying a lot of Bitcoin. And I've been reading some articles and hearing some things about big institutional investors and very wealthy people buying a lot of Bitcoin in the last uh, three or four months. 
Wow. Yeah, I mean, nice, nice story, and also pretty good and very bullish sign for BTC there, and actually for the whole of the, let's say the the top the top cryptocurrencies on page one of CMC. So if you're on page if you if you're on page one of CMC and uh, BTC goes up, then you're very likely to be experiencing a good time in the next. Well, I think in the next six weeks, the halving is coming up in the next seventeen days, isn't it? When's the halving, Kate? Isn't it like 17 days away? Um, I'm expecting some big movement around this time. And it seems like a perfect storm if you've got, like like you mentioned, mainstream news starting to essentially promote BTC now as a, a potential safe haven, like a mature asset. Um, you're going to see a lot more people going into BTC in the next yeah. coming months. I, I kind of feel like the halving is oh, kind of you hide a dead body, Kate? I don't know where. Page two of CMC. That's a joke. Right. <laughs> That's a joke for marketers out there. Where'd you hide a dead body? You hide it on page two of Google. That's the joke. Um, well, that's true. All right, then, Cade. Let's go to the next story. Did you want to? Sorry, did you want to say something? I might have interrupted you there. No, no. I think uh, we can we can go on to the next one. Um, the next one is actually about encryption and. Hey, Cade, you've dropped off for me. I can't hear you, Mike. Oh, you oh no. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm back. I'm back. I was on the other side of the HODL moon for a second there. Okay, there um, we go. Let's carry on. It's yeah, a podcast. So the next one I want to talk about is encryption. And I was actually looking into BCH again, and it's actually possible to send encrypted messages there. And that's where I found this uh, story where U.S. lawmakers are trying to weaken end-to-end -end encryption. And basically, the law they're pro uh, uh, proposing would be that you would have to earn compliance cert certificate under a national review board before employing any kind of end-to-end -end encryption. And it would, of course, be accompanied by a backdoor access for law enforcement, which completely defeats the entire point of end-to-end -end encryption. So uh, I think in the U.S. we've done an okay job of battling back against um, some of this government intrusion, but you know we've, we've had Patriot Act, Patriot Act Two, which are kind of Orwellian. But I think there's they're going to be able to hopefully hold it off. But basically, because of these rules, people are building all these kind of workarounds and solutions to to. Um, counteract these laws, you know, like there's all these rules against privacy. Well, people are using Tor, people are using end-to-end -end encryption. And for the most part, they're just using it because they just want to have a private life. They don't want all of their goings-on and all the things they're doing out there for everyone to see, whether it's the government or their attackers, other people, enemies they people may or may not have. But uh, I thought it was pretty interesting and, and what they're doing with it and um, how they're trying to fight back against uh, censorship and of encryption. Yeah, it's very important to have privacy and security and know that you, uh, well, we're living in a digital world now. So you've got to feel comfortable with this new reality that a lot of stuff, it might not necessarily be private, unfortunately. So anything that allows you to maintain your own privacy and your own autonomy and security is pretty good. So encryption is important. I remember back in the days before Facebook chat was encrypted. Um, so one of my my friends uh, in the in the UK actually invented like a end-to-end -end encryption for Facebook chatting, which was pretty cool. 
it was like an add-on or whatever. So it's it's always been important. It is very important, but naturally, law enforcement doesn't like it because uh, potentially some people can do nefarious things. But it doesn't mean that, that everyone who has uh, is a fan of privacy is is a criminal. So I think that this is the distinction that people need to get. I mean, a lot of people say that Bitcoin is uh, and cryptocurrency in general is dangerous because criminals could use it. But you've you've said this before. Criminals use cash too. Criminals use money. So um, doesn't criminals mean use computers. Bad. Yeah, criminals I mean, use computers. Criminals use cars. Criminals, criminals, you know, wash their hands occasionally. So it's not like hand soap should be banned either. <laughs> you know, you, you know, know what, you know what else, you know what else criminals do, Josh? No, I don't know what they do. Print they money. drink whiskey. They drink whiskey, and so do I. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I drink whiskey too. I've got a nice little whiskey connection. Um, that, that's something. A, that's something that only a criminal would do. Yeah. Some criminals cross the road. Uh, Have you ever crossed the yeah. road before? Don't do it. Yeah, I've, you criminals know, breathe, Cade. Yeah, well, here's breathe. the thing: like that, that crossing the road thing. It's like you know, there are like very rural areas of the U.S., and if there's not a crosswalk, I think it's technically illegal to cross the road in the middle of nowhere. There could be no cars for miles and miles, but you're breaking the law, even if no one sees you. You know? Oh yeah, we're still jaywalking. Jaywalking. Yeah, right? jaywalking. I mean, Actually, as a British uh, person, that blows my mind. You can cross the road in the U.K. whenever you like. You just have to use. You you know, uh, you look right, look left, look right, because the roads, cars are on the left hand side in the UK. So you'd have to look right first, look left, yeah. and then look right one more time. In America, you have to people... do it the op opposite way around because you drive on the right hand side of the road. There are only a few countries that drive on the left: UK, Ireland, Japan. You know, I don't even know anywhere else that drives on the left. Yeah, yeah. When I was in Korea, I had some coworkers who got oh, New Zealand, maybe in Korea. Co I, I had some, yeah, so some old co-workers, they both got jaywalking tickets in Korea, which was pretty funny. Um, but It's bizarre, though, like the, crossing the road, you know. Here's, I mean, here's one I In think, a free society, you can cross the road. <laughs> all right, here, here's, here's the one that I think is strange. So in the U.S., even if it's red, you can turn right on a red light. But I heard in the U.K., you can't turn left on a red light, even if there's nobody coming. It's like if there's no one coming, you can just go. Yeah, you can't do it. You've got to, if it's red, it means don't go. I get it. I get Simple. it. Simple green go, red stop, and then there's like the amber color, which is we're transitioning from one to the other. You know. Um, anyway, <laughs> I've never I've never heard anyone call the yellow light the amber colored light. It's very that's very British of you, Josh. Well, it's technically I think it's more orange in in the UK. It's more like an orange color than a yellow one. That's why. I didn't want to confuse you too much with it. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, before we move on, let's give out a shout out to this guy. I think the guy who came up with this is Chris Troutner. He's a BCH dev, and basically, you can do multi-transaction encrypted messages uh, through the Memo BCH protocol, which is pretty cool. But yeah, it's cool. I love encryption. I love privacy. I love I love uh, crypto, and they all really work well together. So from one one BCH. Story to another one. The General Bytes ATM developers have added two-way support for Bitcoin Cash-based SLP tokens. So they have BTC, BCH, and SLP tokens. So um, 
the SLP tokens are kind of a competitor to, um, you know, building tokens on top of the Ethereum. And actually, uh, as, as I showed Josh uh, a little while ago, we actually made our own Dark Side of the Hoddle Moon SLP token. So if nice. you want some, shout us, shout us out on Twitter and I'll send you a million. I made a hundred billion, so I can I can spare a few here and there. A hundred um, billion. All right. Okay. So, I just a nice round number, you know. But yeah, uh, cool, you know, if you, cool. So, and the first person to retweet uh, Cade's announcement of SLP will get a hundred million Dark Side of the Hoddle Moon um, SLP coins. Cool tokens. How, how many? How many am I giving? A hundred million. How many did you make? A hundred billion. I made a hundred billion. Yeah, I mean, give away zero point one percent of the total supply. That's okay. I think it should be fine. All right, 0. which is a hundred million. Okay, <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, so- and, if, and if and if you and if you if you get those SLP tokens, you're going to be all the way in complete lunar orbit. Trust me. Yeah, so you get but- one one thousandth of the total supply, which is a hundred million SLPs. If you made a hundred billion, and there's a you know, there's a thousand million in a billion that that works out. So a hundred million SLPs, uh, Dark Side of Hollow Moon, are up for grabs. It's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, and and Josh, I'll I'll send you a million too. Don't worry. All right, Kate. Cool. I'll mint my own. I'll call it like uh, something else, and I'll send you. I'll send you a few. Anyway, these the main point is that it's pretty cool that you can uh, basically easily create your own tokens now. You don't even need to be. Um, like an expert developer now. So this is pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty interesting. I think it's cool. Um, Basically the big story here is that it's going to increase adoption. Cause I think it's got two way support. So you can buy the SLP tokens through the ATM. I think you can also sell them back through the ATM. So there's not a lot of popular SLP tokens, but we'll see in this year. I think there could be another space that really, um, maybe comes to challenge Ethereum, but I think the SLP tokens could really take off. It's really easy to to mint them. You know, I did it myself. And uh I think it's kind of cool that they're being put on into ATMs and being on more exchanges. Because if they're not in ATMs and like you always talk about liquidity, if they're not in exchanges, it's never gonna take off. Yeah, definitely. So I'm a really big fan of what they're doing these days. I think that um Anything that helps the user onboard into cryptocurrency is always good. Have the new person get it on board easily. So this type of thing is is really good. All right, let's go to the next story. All right, yeah. Well, the next story um, covers a couple a couple guests we've had. So this is um, Kelso. He had an article on CoinSpice, and he's talking about the three-year BTC maximalist doom and gloom, Bitcoin Cash narrative, reaches a fever pitch. I thought it was a really interesting article. And basically, he talks about how they've been calling it B cash and B trash forever. And basically, it really hasn't panned out. You know, they've they've been saying it's dead for a long time, and it doesn't seem to be dead. And, you know, he talks about their their obsession with uh, the BTC Maxi's obsession with Roger Veer, which I kind of find to be pretty true. And basically, they continue to basically attack him about, you know, whether he's mining BTC or BCH. You know, he's very direct and says he mines the one that's the most profitable and he might, you know, shift it later into BCH. But it's basically 
you know, they always calling Roger a liar. And it seems like they're doing a little bit more lying about what what he's actually been doing. And uh, and they're also talking about one thing they've been talking about a lot is the 51 percent attack is just around the corner. And of all the change to be 51 percent attack, I think BCH is really up there near the top of ones that are never going to get 51 percent attacked. But I thought it was a really good article. It goes into a lot of other stuff as well, but um, I think it's a good read. So we'll put it in the show notes for sure. Yeah, that's a good idea. Put it in the show notes. This is good. And honestly, the it's pretty strange the way that uh, some people are vilified or some people um, kind of have this derangement syndrome almost. Like if you're a maximalist, it doesn't mean that everything else but what you are doing is 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 rubbish or isn't good um i think that maybe it comes from insecurity honestly if if you were so confident that your your project was strong you wouldn't need to be like vitriolic to other people you'd just be like you'd laugh it off you'd think it was funny but if you you know if you start to attack people it shows that you're concerned and you you're not you're not really as secure as you're pretending to be so yeah this and article I think, is I pretty interesting yeah, I think we can differentiate it too. Of course, like I think it's fine to have issues with BCH or Roger Veer or whatever, but like you can be respectful or just criticize BCH. You don't have to criticize the people, you know. I think the people that are on, you know, other people, whether in they're not maybe they're not big fans of Bitcoin, but they're big fans of BCH or even BSV or Ethereum, and they might criticize bitcoin but they usually don't criticize people that are big in the in the btc community they just criticize the project for different reasons but it seems like instead of attacking the project they just attack the the figurehead bitcoin jesus instead yeah and i mean after this episode's released we might have a special guest on this show who knows yeah who knows we you never know what's going to happen next in the crypto space especially when you're orbiting the dark side of the, oh, the moon. moon exactly okay the next story bitrex global extends visa credit so okay debit on ramps to another 20, 125 countries this is pretty strong news actually so we were just talking about easy ways to onboard people well the existing financial system credit and debit cards currently work really well in most of the world so you need to go to the places where it doesn't exist if you want to really see exponential growth in crypto and DeFi. I'll keep on harping about that for the whole of 2020 because that is the truth. That is the truth. Now, Liechtenstein-based um, Bittrex Global. Now, they've changed locations a couple of times. Bittrex has moved around, um, and the latest place that they are in is Liechtenstein, which seems to be able to help them facilitate these types of things. Um, so Liechtenstein is a very, very small like principality. Essentially, it's a, it's it's a, like a country that's about the size of a forest or something like that. It's not very big. Um, I'm sure there are national parks in in America that are ten times as as uh, as large as Liechtenstein. But that Liechtenstein is one of those interesting small European countries that back in the day. Um, some of the wealthy people set it up and they're like, yeah, this is one of those one of those places. But uh, I think it's good news overall that now 125 different countries can buy crypto easily through Bittrex. Now, Bittrex was one of the earliest exchanges I ever used. So I can remember trading on Bittrex like 
five, six years ago now. Um, and also Poloniex was one of the first ones. Now, I don't trade on either right now. I only really trade on Binance or Upbit or uh, Bitcoin.com. Where do you trade now, Cade? Where, which trading accounts do you have? Uh, well, considered I'm a HODL warrior, I usually don't do a lot of trading. I do a lot of HODLing. But uh, uh, when it comes to buying, uh, I, I don't know. I'll use I'll use uh, uh, you know, side shift or shape shift to to go between, or you can use the atomic wallet. But generally, when it comes to buying, I honestly I just go where the che- price is the cheapest. Whether that's uh, one this exchange or that exchange or you know doing person-to-person purchases but yeah I, i've used bittrex binance qcoin uh i used some korean exchanges back in the day um but yeah i basically uh i think i also used coinbase because it was pretty simple but coinbase the fees are a little bit high but i still use it sometimes because it's one of the easier fiat on ramps in the u.s but yeah i just use whatever is the cheapest to be honest with you but yeah i think it's just a good uh, bullish news because the the fiat on ramp was a choke point for a lot of people in a lot of countries and for a lot of different reasons. But I think this is just good news, and it kind of coincides with some other good crypto adoption news. So Coin uh, Market Cap they've collaborated with Gilded, a finance network headquartered in New Orleans, to offer automated invoices along with crypto and traditional payment options for clients. So. Um, there's a lot of companies doing this sort of stuff, but this is big news because it's from uh, Coin Market Cap, which I think was recently acquired, and it's pretty cool because a customer can decide to pay in crypto or via traditional payment channels such as wire transfers or credit cards. And according to this article, when a customer pays e- using either crypto or traditional payment options, the payment goes to a digital currency exchange rather than a wallet or an individual. So it seems like they kind of manage the payments for the business accepting the purchases, but it's just another option. And like, like I always say, I think options are great. So if you like it, great. If not, you can use some other uh, crypto POS system instead. But I think it's kind of big news coming from a big player. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And also CMC, you know, was acquired recently. And who was it acquired by? Binance. So obviously Binance wants to introduce more adoption of cryptocurrency as a payment method for many different things so of course they're going to add that into one of their assets coin market cap makes sense it fits in with their mission statement and what they're trying to do so it makes total sense i think it's cool now i've just realized this show is getting long it's getting over an hour like we've never we we don't normally go as long as this but let's do our last two stories and then let's call it a day on on this episode for the april 2020 cryptocurrency yeah so well, the last two are kind of short and funny ones anyway. Yeah, the, we'll uh, shorten the block times here for these last two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, the second to last one is Microsoft's patent. And it's just uh, a little creepy, a little strange. It's got the number 666 in the patent number, not in a row, but people are making that connection as well. But basically, it's a very vague patent. And it's got all this weird uh, wordage and, and language in it. It's like, for example, a brainwave or body heat emitted by the user can be information for a service provider that can be used in the crypto mining process. It's basically like using human bodies as crypto miners or to verify the blockchain. It's really like 
matrix style like really out there kind of stuff and it kind of is orwellian it's kind of a little sci-fi it's kind of just a little bizarre and it's really uh yeah, body, body you, activity you, can be used as proof of work i mean yeah that is a bit odd um definitely think it's strange 666 obviously being a reference to the number of the devil um i'm not superstitious but it is pretty interesting and also the other numbers in there is like you can see 2020 as well which is this year quite clearly in the pattern number um and microsoft well the owner the well the guy who made microsoft famous bill gates he's there's been some funny memes going around about all of this um coronavirus stuff from the bill gates foundation now i'm not necessarily a conspiracy theorist the only conspiracy i really believe is really uh well unquestionably strange that if you just look into it is odd is that world trade center seven thing have you ever seen that one before? I mean, that building just collapses through itself. It wasn't oh, hit, yeah, right. wasn't hit by any plane or anything, and it was the same day as nine eleven. Um, that was a pretty strange one. That's about the only conspiracy theory that I can think is like, okay, there's something not quite right there. But this one is a just like a random coincidence of the numbers W zero two zero two zero zero six zero six zero six. I mean, you can read into that if you want. I don't necessarily think there's anything. The numbers there. aren't the big thing, but like there's a funny Reddit comment. Microsoft wants to mine cryptocurrency from your body cavity data. And just like it's it's really just kind of out there. But yeah, as far as Bill Gates, he seems to be like the world's doctor these days. Apparently, he was the second biggest donor to the who after the U.S. So he has got a lot of influence when it comes to this kind of stuff. But he's not a doctor, but he seems to be talking a lot about what the world should do right now. Well, he's been talking about like virus and well, pande- well, viral pandemics since at least the last, I don't know, 10 years. I remember there's a, a TEDx talk that he or TED talk that he did in 2015 that went around where he basically described almost perfectly a potential pandemic that basically mirrors uh, what he predicted, and that is the coronavirus. He pre- basically described the coronavirus five years before it happened. That was quite creepy too. Anyway, um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. The only one that I do really think is odd is WTC7. Look into that if you haven't. I think it's just odd. I actually have a theory about this, and we're in 2020 anyway, um, and so it's election year. Donald Trump is the... Uh, current incumbent so i think it's likely he wins and i think it's likely in his second term when he goes yolo this is when it's when is his second term is really um this is going to be his legacy stuff he's going to implement some stuff that is um because in your last four years you can't really be challenged too much i think that you 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 everyone knows that you're going for legacy building stuff i think trump is going to do uh He's going to bring back the 9-11 investigation and look into like World Trade Center 7 and get rid of some of those criminals. Who knows? But let's see. All right. The last story uh, is the insane price prediction from the Silk Road founder. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you look, look at that. Look at that number, Josh. Don't tell me the number is right now, but just tell me what you think when you look at that number. Is that pretty wild? Yeah. I mean, of course, it's a. It's mental. Where did he come up with this idea? He basically just made a... Yeah. Well, anyways, let's talk about who made this prediction. Uh, so Ross Ulbricht made it, made this prediction, and obviously he's uh, in jail right now for uh, a double life sentence plus something, which is pretty sad. But 
Yeah, without further ado, he predicted $333 million for Bitcoin, which is, you know, we thought the $1 million and $2 million predictions from people like McAfee and others were pretty wild. But yes, $333 million, that would give it uh, a market cap of $7 quadrillion. And apparently he was using uh, El the Elliott Way principle. Apparently he's been doing this for years, but he's usually kept his analysis to himself. But now he's been putting it out there for, for people to, to uh, kind of think about. But uh, yeah, you know, if, if you're... Uh, <laughs> If you're holding one, just one Bitcoin or even half a Bitcoin, you're sitting pretty pretty. If uh, you're sitting pretty, if it hits anywhere near that number, well, then again, it might just be a result of the fact that we went through hyperinflation and that the U.S. dollars are worthless. It could be that as well. So <laughs> you never know. It's plain devil's advocate there, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I mean, based on current prices and things like that, it, prediction is three hundred thirty-three million dollars per bitcoin is his prediction i personally don't think it's going to reach that high but i think we might see as high as you know this year eighty thousand dollars in the next eight months i can see a 10 yeah, you, i can see a 10 yeah, coming in this year so yeah you've stuck with that eighty thousand. i mm. think it's good you're consistent there yeah i mean you're, you're right though that that's another thing is you got to measure it compared to what the value of the dollars and how much they've been printing it because yeah maybe it's 333 million but if it goes zimbabwe style inflation maybe the average house in the u.s is 100 million dollars at that time so it's not it's not nothing special but uh yeah that's the last one we have today um so yeah i don't have anything else to say but i thought it was another good episode we'll try and keep it a little bit shorter next time josh do you have anything else you want to say today yeah um sorry for well, making it too long. If you enjoyed, if you're hearing at the end, maybe not sorry because maybe you enjoyed it. If you stuck around for this long, one hour and uh, ten minutes into crypto, currently we tried to keep the episode shorter, but we had a lot of stories to cover today. We will uh, endeavour to make crypto currently shorter. However, um, we want your feedback. So we've been doing this show for a while now. We've got a couple of uh, excellent guests coming up. We've also done a lot of great guests in the past. So we want you to. Go and listen to the back catalog and start to send us your questions. So make sure you subscribe and like all of our different channels and uh, follow us on the dark side of the Hoddle Moon. And Kate, you want to sign us off and we'll call this one a day at one hour and 11 minutes. Yeah, that'll do it for us. Until next time, we will see you immutably on the dark side of, of the, the Hoddle Moon. moon. Thank you for joining us on Dark Side of the Hoddle Moon. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Also, be sure to join our Telegram group, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and follow us on BitChute and YouTube where you can find all the episodes as well as highlights from previous episodes. You can also visit us at darksideofthehoddlemoon.com. Hoddle Moon!